would you all uh, pray with me, please? Uh, Pray with me and pray for me and pray for each other. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we ask that you would open our ears today and that you would open our hearts and that we would be open, Father, to receive all the teaching and all the words that our Lord Jesus Christ wants us to receive today. Open my mouth to speak clearly. Open my heart to understand. And Father, I pray that through all of our teaching this morning, that you and you alone be glorified and that we, your sheep, will hear your voice. Be exalted. We give ourselves to you now and to your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. May I invite you, please, to open your Bibles. Uh, Those of you that brought your Bibles, there are Bibles in front of you. Uh, I'm sure you all, uh, some of you have Bibles on your smartphones or tablets. Uh, just, Just get to the Word. Get to the Word so that you can follow with me the teaching this morning. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, the fourth of the four Gospels. And in particular, we're going to be looking at this uh, teaching of Jesus this morning on chapter 10. Chapter 10. But I'm not going to begin on chapter 10. That's why you need to have your Bibles. Uh, Actually, if we want to understand chapter 10, if we want to understand what Jesus is talking about in these two illustrations that are part of the beginning of chapter 10, we actually need to go back all the way to chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 2, tells us in John that it was the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was what brought Jesus to Jerusalem. The Feast of Tabernacles in Hebrew is the Feast of Sukkot, but uh, we also know it in Christian circles as uh, the Feast of Booths or sometimes the Feast of Ingathering. It is probably one of the last of the harvest feast, but it is a reminder to the Jewish people, which they were to celebrate every year, they were to be reminded of the time when they were nomads in the desert, after they had left the slavery of Egypt and were moving toward the promised land. And they were to be reminded that in the wilderness, there was really no security. They had no comforts, no homes, no harvest. They were completely in the desert, dependent on God to feed them, 
dependent on God to protect them, dependent on God for water, dependent for God, dependent on God for every word from him, and dependent on God that he would lead them out of the wilderness to a promised land. Now they lived in the promised land, but it is so easy at times to forget where you've been when everything is going fantastic. When everything is wonderful, when you have everything you possibly can want, it's very easy to forget the times you cried out to God and God delivered you, or at least comforted you. And so the Feast of Tabernacles was a feast in which at times they would build booths like little shacks. Perhaps they were built all over Jerusalem. Perhaps some of the most observant would build them in their backyard or something like that. And they would perhaps spend a week because most feasts of Israel lasted at least a week. And they would live in these booths to be remembered that there was a time when they had nothing. And they had no security and no comfort. But they lived out in the wilderness and in the elements. And so every year they were to celebrate these feasts of tabernacles. I always believe that whenever God does something mighty, he always throws a party. And he tells us, celebrate this party every year. The day you forget to celebrate, you will forget what I did. And so every year they were to celebrate a number of feasts, and this was one of the important ones. Well, the Feast of Tabernacles is approaching in chapter 7. And the brothers of Jesus kind of want to push his buttons and tell him, why don't you go down to Jerusalem with us and show who you are? If you keep saying that you are Messiah, well, show us you are Messiah and show everybody you are Messiah. And Jesus decides, no, he's not going. He tells him, I'm not going to the feast. But as we read uh, a little later on, on that same chapter, it tells us, uh, actually, you can read it there. It says, before, please, the slide before. It says, but when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. So after the brothers had left, he does go to the feast. And we are told that in verse 37, which is the next slide, it says that on the last day of the feast, the great day of the feast, Jesus began to teach in the temple. Jesus began to teach in the temple. And the more he taught, the bigger the confrontation was, especially with the religious leaders who were questioning his authority to teach and were questioning why he was teaching what he was teaching. And as you continue reading through the chapter 7, you recognize that Jesus constantly in this occasion was confronted by the religious leader and a, and a big uh, issue erupted between them. 
When we get to chapter 8, when we leave chapter 7 and we get to chapter 8, we are told that Jesus left Jerusalem and went to the Mount of Olives, while in verse 2 of chapter 8, we are told that in the morning, Jesus returned to the temple. And the confrontation got even hotter. And it got, it got pretty bad as you continue to read chapter 8. They questioned him about whether God was his father and whose father he was. And I mean, it just got really, really heated up between him and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious leaders. In chapter 9, this is all connected and you have to be with me. In chapter 9, as he's moving through the temple, he goes to one of the gates of the temple and he finds a blind man who was a beggar. And his disciples ask whether he's blind from birth because he sinned or because his fathers or parents sinned. And Jesus said, neither or neither. It's because God is going to get glorified through this, through his blindness. And he goes ahead and takes some mud from the ground, rubs it in his eyes, and he sends him to go wash in the pool of Siloam or Siloam. The man obediently goes and washes the mud and he begins to see. Upon seeing some people that knew him to be blind and to be a beggar, eventually take him to the religious leaders and they began to question him as to why he now can see. And he said, well, Jesus healed me and he put mud in my eyes and he told me to go wash in the pool of Salem and now I see. And they said, well, he couldn't be from God because he healed you on a Sabbath. And they begin to, to uh, rail against this blind man. Eventually, they ask whether indeed he had been born blind. They call his parents to be brought before the leaders. They ask him if he was a fake. Perhaps he never was blind. And the parents say, look, I know he's my son, and I know he was born blind, but how he now sees, we don't know. So they question him again, and eventually the confrontation got so hard that they excommunicated this man from Judaism. They threw him out by the authority vested upon them as religious leaders. They excommunicate him and Jesus meets him in one of the gates and he says to him, do you know the son of man? And the man's response is, who is he, Lord, that I may believe? And Jesus says, I am him. And he says, I believe. Now, the confrontation that is going on against Jesus in the temple, starting in chapter 7 and ending all the way to chapter 10, verse 59, I think it is, there's a constant hot confrontation, and if they had gotten a hold of Jesus, they would have excommunicated him too, or worse. In fact, at one point, they sent soldiers, and the soldiers came back, and they said, how come you didn't arrest him? He says, the people loved him. 
We, you know, his words were more than we can handle. We didn't arrest him. But they wanted to begin to get rid of Jesus. When Jesus speaks in this verse, in these verses we're dealing with about thieves and robbers, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. That's who he's referring to. The religious leaders. He's referring, I don't think he's referring to Abraham or Moses or the prophets. I think he's referring to those religious leaders who held Judaism by the power of their hands and would not let them know the truth of the Word of God. They had their way to handle things, and anyone that taught anything opposite from them or anything beyond what they were teaching, they confronted them, and that's part of why Jesus says, everyone who came before me are thieves and robbers. That's who he's referring to. Those he had had this confrontation with from chapter 7 all the way to the verses that we're dealing with today in chapter 10. In this passage that we are dealing with today, Jesus offers two illustrations. My translation calls them illustrations. Other translations will call them figure of speech, or perhaps the one that you have in your hand now says, he said to them these figures. These are not parables, but these are illustrations, stories illustrating a point. One of the illustrations seems to be out of context. Seems to be out of context to the point that when Jesus is done telling the story, they understand the story, they understand the image, but they don't understand the point. They find in that illustration no spiritual food from Jesus. And so we're told that they don't understand. Let me give you an example. Let's say that I begin the sermon today instead of the way I began it. Let's say that I begin by telling you about this guy that left Cuba and who moved over here and said this and went that, and then I went ahead and sat down, and you say, what was that about? Where's the teaching in this thing? What did Father Jose just do? It just, I got the story. Now, you don't know if I'm talking about me, if I'm talking about my father, if I'm talking about my grandfather, because I didn't tell you who I was talking about. I just said, this guy. You understand? And you, and you listen, and you understand. It makes sense. You got the story. But you say, it doesn't fit Sunday morning. It doesn't fit the sermon, and it certainly doesn't fit the gospel we just read. So you would be left kind of not understanding. That's what's going on with the first illustration. They don't see the value of it, or they don't see the spiritual message that Jesus is trying to to convey. So Jesus tells them a second illustration where he's a whole lot more clear. He's clearer on exactly what he means. 
and he couldn't be clearer. I've taught you this before, but I believe that you need to hear things more than once, more than three times. But we are taught normally that when we pray and we want to affirm our prayers, we close all our prayers by saying, in the name of Jesus, Amen. Amen is Hebrew, not English. It's Hebrew and it means, yes, Lord, I just meant what I pray. This is important to me. Let it be done. That's what amen means. Let it be. When Jesus wants to say something really important, he doesn't say amen at the end. He says amen at the beginning. So these verses that we are dealing with, in fact, both illustrations of Jesus begin with the word amen, amen. And that means pay very close attention to what follows. Okay? Amen, amen. And then he tells the first illustration. And then when he's going to tell the second illustration, he begins there again. Amen, amen. I say to you, pay attention. This is important. Okay? Some translations will translate it as truly, truly. Others will translate it as verily, verily. Others will translate it as most assuredly. Listen, the word is amen. Amen, amen. That's how Jesus is beginning these two illustrations. In the first illustration, the one that seems like he doesn't make much sense, at least to their understanding, Jesus tells the story of two assumed individuals. Two assumed individuals. Both individuals he calls he, the third person singular, he. And when referring to the first individual, he says, next slide please, he who does not enter, he, he, who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. He who does not enter. That's how he begins the story. No preamble, no explanation. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. The reality is that anyone who wants to enter where the sheep are and does not enter through the front doors has not very good intentions. Amen? Their intentions are not good. This he, his intentions are not good. He doesn't want the gatekeeper to see him come. He doesn't want anybody to observe him come because his intentions are to rob and to steal and to kill perhaps one of the sheep, perhaps more of the sheep. His intentions are not good. Now, I don't know about you, but I enter my house through the front door. 
and my wife trusts me enough that she has given me a key. <laughs> I know the combination of the alarm, and I don't enter through a window. I don't enter through a back door. I don't break a window to enter because my intentions are good. It is my home. It is where my family is. They trust me and I trust them. And we enter where everybody and all of my neighbors can see me come in. Don't you enter your house that way? That's how I enter mine. This he does not enter through the front gate. This he's intentions are not good. These his intentions are evil. He doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want to be recognized. But there is another he, which is in the following verse. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out, and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. This is a different he. This is a he who has nothing to hide. This is a he who wants to be recognized by the doorkeeper. This is a he who cares for the sheep, and his intentions are to lead them to green pastures. To lead them to safety, to lead them to security, to lead them to growth, to lead them to life, not to take life. This he is a different he. He's authorized to enter, and he's the owner of the sheep. Now, what's a sheepfold? A sheepfold is an enclosure, probably with very high walls and covered enough so that the sheep cannot escape. It's a high enclosure, probably open to the elements or open to the sky, either attached to the house or next to the house to a distance. And if you are prosperous and you have a lot of sheep or a lot of flocks, you would also hire a doorkeeper or a gatekeeper to take care of the sheep, to protect the sheep, and to allow only you to enter the sheepfold. If you only have a small flock, maybe you, are, you don't have enough money or whatever, you don't hire a doorkeeper. So what Jesus has in mind here is a large numbers of flocks or a large number of sheep where there is a gatekeeper. We are told that the, gatekeeper, the gatekeeper sees the shepherd com coming who owned the sheep and he immediately opens the door. And he also tells us that the sheep themselves, they hear the voice of the shepherd and they rush to him because they trust him. 
And we are told that he calls his sheep by name because he knows each of them individually and each of them has been given a name and he calls them by name and they run to him. And we're told that he goes before them. He doesn't drive them. He leads them. He doesn't drive them. He doesn't hit them. He doesn't kick them. He leads them in front. He goes ahead. And the sheep trust him and love him. And they know that he's going to lead them to green pastures. And they follow him. They follow him because they are secured in his love. They are secured that this shepherd will protect them. They are secure that he would lead them to green pastures and to clean water, and he will protect them. The sheep know their shepherd. The shepherd knows his sheep. And his intentions are to give them good stuff. His intentions are to give them life and to lead them to life. Not just some life, but abundant life. And so they follow the shepherd. And that's where he ends the story. Not identifying either the doorkeeper or identifying the good he or identifying the bad he. He just finishes it there. And they're left like, what? We got the story. We know that there are thieves and robbers. And we know how shepherds deal with their sheep. I mean, there's flocks all over Jerusalem. This is not news to us. What are you talking about? So they don't understand. Let me tell you something before I move on to the second story. You see, I'm not the shepherd. I want to only see myself as the doorkeeper. You have a shepherd. You can call me pastor, you can call me father, but that's just a title. I'm not your shepherd. You have one shepherd. The good shepherd. I see myself as the doorkeeper. I open the doors of your heart for the shepherd. I open the door so that the shepherd can come to you and that you may know him and that he may know you. My job is to open your heart, to open your minds, to open your spirit so that your shepherd and you can have an intimate relationship. My job is to declare the word of God that your heart may be open and that you would receive your shepherd and that he will give you life and give it to you abundantly. I'm just a doorkeeper and I'm thrilled to just be in the service of the Lord even as a higher servant keeping the door of the sheep. Amen? Amen. Now, when they don't understand the first illustration, 
Jesus takes them and gives them a second illustration. But this time he is much, much clearer. Because this time Jesus says to them, I am the door of the sheep. Now there is no confusion as to what he's talking about. He identifies the players. I am the door. Later on, if we keep reading John, this same chapter 10, he's going to say, I am the good shepherd, and I give my life for the sheep. But so far right now, all he tells us that he is the door of the sheep, and the sheep that want to be saved and have life can only enter through him. There is no other way in or out of the sheepfold into eternity. He is the door of the sheep. He's not only the good shepherd that leads them, he is the door by which you enter salvation. There is no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pastures. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. Now, how many of you want abundant life? Because the reality is that we can have life and not have abundant life. You understand? You can have life that is under your control. Or you can have abundant life that is under the control of the Good Shepherd. God's intentions from the beginning of creation is that we have abundant life. This life is a gift from God, a very precious gift, and God wants us to live it in harmony with Him and to the fullest. We mess it up when we don't want to follow the Shepherd. We are content at, life, at times with just life, just living, just coasting from birth to death when we can have the greatest life we can probably have in the company of our Master and Savior and Father and Lord. And Jesus has come that we may know the secret of life. And secret of life is peace and reconciliation with God. And we can have abundant life right here, right now, and then eternally when we come into His presence. But abundant life can be had now, but you have to choose who you follow. Who you follow. Because I don't know who you're following. I know you're in church. I know you are a Christian. But that you're a Christian and have made a confession of faith doesn't mean you are following Jesus. A lot of times, even we Christians, we follow our own, our own minds, our own wills, our own ways of doing things. Even we Christians can say to Jesus, move aside because I want to do it my way. Even we Christians at times choose to not follow the shepherd 
then we go different directions thinking we can find pasture on our own, we can find happiness on our own, we can do it our way, and we leave the security, the care, the love of the Good Shepherd. My question to you that I need you to ponder is who do you follow today? When things get tough, who do you follow? Yourself, your will, your ways, or do you follow some televangelist? Or do you follow some, some bishops? Or do you follow? Who do you follow? Do you follow Jesus and only Jesus? Because he is the only door that leads to salvation. My brothers and my sisters, don't ever follow me. I'm just in the journey with you. I'm just the doorkeeper who still wants to go and follow my shepherd. Don't follow me. Correct me if you think I'm wrong. Because I want to follow faithfully. And I want to follow my one true Lord. But you need to make a decision who you follow, because you are not with me, and I'm not watching you 24-7. You're going to make decisions every day of your life, every week of your life, and the one that you need to follow is Jesus. Don't tell me on Sunday that you believe in Jesus, and then the rest of the week follow yourself. Does your Lord and Shepherd know you by name? Do you hear his voice and recognize him? Do you appreciate his direction, his guidance, his protection? And will you willingly follow him and him alone, whatever direction he leads you? If not, you're following somebody else. See, that's the application of this passage. Listen, there are many people in this flock... And in fact, in the sheepfold, there may be many different flocks. These ones are called by Jesus his own sheep, meaning that there's others in there that may not be his own sheep. So this sheepfold may be a, a symbol of life, a symbol of the world. And some of them are his sheep, and some of them might not be his sheep. But his sheep know him, and they follow him because they recognize his voice. There are people in this world, we all know them, they follow their own drum. They follow their own tune. Some of them are happy. Life is good. They feel very proud that they are making their own decisions. And everything seems to be going fantastic. And that may be true. But the issue is that they will not have abundant life because you cannot have abundant life if you just follow yourself. You can have your own life, and sometimes we mess it up pretty good. But if you want to have the kind of life that Jesus is talking about, following the shepherd is the only one to get it. There's only one door, and there's only one shepherd, and there's only one Jesus. 
in this life, some people are happy the way they live. God bless them. I don't wish them any harm. They're just cheating themselves out of abundance. And then there are those who are in terrible trouble, and we all know them, and their lives are a mess, and their families are a mess, and their marriages are a mess, and their health is a mess, and those cannot have abundant life either. Because the shepherd is the one who leads to abundant life. And we can only follow him. And he did not come to steal or to cheat or to destroy. He came that those who recognize his voice and follow him will be led to abundant life. Abundant life. Let me tell you, I want the life of Jesus. I want the life of obedience. I want the life that corrects me when I'm wrong. I want the life that feeds me when I'm sorrowful. I want the life that heals me when I'm sick. I want the life that, I, that tells me I'm loved when I don't feel very loved myself. I want the life of a Savior, and that is only Jesus. So this time Jesus is not nebulous about the illustration. He says, I am. I am the door of the sheep. Everybody else are just thieves and robbers that all they want to do is rob and all they want to do is protect their own gain and all they want to do is protect their own power and their own authority and all they want to do is keep things the way they normally have always been and you need to fit their mold because that's where they find their security. We find our security in Jesus. And what I want is in life and in death is to have lived the life that Jesus leads me to. And I want to be obedient. And I want to be righteous. And I want to be forgiven. And I want the mercies of my Lord. And by the end of my life, I want to know that I lived a life that is worthy of God. Because if it's only worthy of me, I will mess it up pretty good. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd, says the Lord. My sheep hear my voice. I don't drive them. I lead them. They're secure in me. They trust in me, and I lead them to life here on earth, abundant life, and life eternal in the heavens. Is that what you want? I want you to think about it. I want you to pray about it because there's only one door to salvation and there's only one shepherd that will lead us home. Amen? Amen.